Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes some of the best acrylic paints and mediums that you can use. They also make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints, which are equally exceptional. You can find them at your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Seattle-based Fulcrum makes incredible coffee, which you can get delivered to your door. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and use the code ALFREDSTUDIO for 20% off your order. That's an exclusive just for Sound and Vision listeners. Check out their site and their coffee today. Benjamin Edwards is an artist born in Iowa City, Iowa, and lives and works in Washington, D.C. He received a B.A. from UCLA, attended the San Francisco Art Institute, then earned an MFA from the Rhode Island School of Design. He's had solo shows at Greenberg Van Doren in New York City, Tomio Koyama in Tokyo, Gallery Jean-Luc and Takako Richard in Paris, and Kravitz Webby in New York City. He's had group exhibitions at Mucasia Contemporary in Rome, Neumann Wolfson in New York, Nicole Ripka in Watermill, New York, the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, the Chelsea Art Museum in New York, the Cleveland Museum of Art, and shows in Barcelona, Austria, Prague, Wolfsburg, Copenhagen, and many more. His work has been covered in the New Yorker, Art in America, Tokyo Art Beat, Time Out New York, the New York Times, New York Magazine, October, Art Forum, and many more. His work is in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art, the Carnegie Museum of Art, the New York Public Library, and the Progressive Corporation, just to name a few. I spoke with Ben about finding the sweet spot, focusing in at art school, working with architecture and signage, pushing work into new territory, and much more. Here's our conversation. All right, so I got to preface um, the conversation. I'm excited because I've been a, a big fan of your work from like the early 2000s when I first started seeing it. And your oh, your great. trajectory, if we want to call it that, or you're just you making work, was like, I remember seeing, was it at Van Greenberg? Van, what was it called then? Yeah, they went through a couple of different names. Yeah, they, they kept so, changing the name. You know, you could just call them Greenberg Van Doren. But for, you know, they went through like three different iterations of that. But yeah. So the work from those, that's, I think, the first time I saw your work, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's when I first started. That's when I first had gallery representation in New York, starting in 1999. I started showing with them up until 2011 when I left. Right. Um, so that, that so, you know, we started showing at the same time. Because my mm -hmm. first show yeah. was, well, yeah, yeah. I was in a two-person show in 99, I think, was my first New York show. Mm -hmm. So we kind of came in at the same time. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah I've been... It's fascinating because I've I've followed your work, you know, I've checked in with your work and I haven't seen your work in person for a while. You know what I mean? But I know you've been yeah. showing, but um so it's it's gonna be good to talk because I wanna sort of see 
what what mm-hmm. makes you tick mm-hmm. and what's going on. But apparently, okay. you're an Iowa boy who went to school in Southern California. Is that all true? Did you grow up in Iowa? Well, or were you born sort there? of. I was yeah. I was born in Iowa. I was born in Iowa City. My parents were students. They were very young, and they both want really wanted to get out of Iowa. And so they, when I was a baby, they had a VW bus and they drove to California and uh, moved to San Francisco. And actually just last year I visited with my dad and we were in San Francisco. And so we went to the Haight-Ashbury, which is where they moved to. And I'm sort of asking him about that. And, you know, he was saying that basically they kind of like got their too late <laughs> they, oh, was this they missed the like early 70s the i guess summer summer of love yeah so that would have been like 1971 and so by the time they got there it was just like you know the party everything had moved on and it was just a lot of drugs a lot of you know rats and like just not it's like a nasty place and not a good place to raise a baby That's so tough. that didn't last very long and then they moved to uh Mountain View. That's like showing so. up to the club at like 5 a.m. when there's like three people left and they're all completely destroyed, you know, and the place is a wreck. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like I joke with my son now who's 16. It's like if I've heard of it now, then it's dead. It's officially right, it's dead cool because yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not cool. I know. I get that too. If it's made its way to me, then. It's a weird, <laughs> so. isn't it a weird, it's, a, it's something you have to adjust to. It's like, oh, right, when it hits my radar. That's like, even if it is still were to be cool, yeah, it immediately yeah. decools it. Well, I think you just have to embrace it oh, because yeah. there's nothing worse than the parent who tries to be really cool and is just embarrassing themselves. That and, is offensive. You know, so you, you just have to like go with your, your, your new role yeah. and just, yeah. Yeah. And you have to fight the urge too to not go in the other way where you just ham it up and be extra annoying or kind of like, Hey, I'm dead, you know, and then just. Cause that'll that's yeah, even worse, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you just, you just have to. It's a it's a fine line. It? I feel like <laughs> you sure. have to kind of pretend like you're almost brain dead, like you just are just there, like you're a supporting cast member who has no lines. It's like you know what, just show up in the scene. Don't try to steal the scene. Just you know, show up for work. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I try to I try to mostly just kind of like if particularly if he has friends around, I'll just kind of listen yeah. and not, you know, I don't want to like, if I'm, I'm, I'm the driver. Right, right? right. So it's like, I'm the, I'm the Uber driver. It's like, I'm not going to talk to the passengers. Right. But so that's kind of fun just to listen sometimes, but you know, occasionally I'll kind of like, just kind of poke in and just yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, if I, if I have a, a question or a comment or something like that, but uh, anyway, I try to, I try to make it fun. Yeah. Some of those uh, sort of passive, moments when they're with friends or something it's like you sometimes learn things about your kid that you didn't even know before like yeah. i didn't know my kid yeah. could rap basically lyrics to a million songs and knows every single lyric and one day it just happened uh-huh. in a car with friends is pretty uh-huh. cool yeah 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 my kids can do that yeah, too it's amazing right <laughs> you're just like oh we're doing that now that's and that's the language we're throwing right. around all right I, I mean, I get it. I listen. I remember having a contraband like NWA tape when I was a kid that my neighbor gave me. And this thing could not be, get an earshot of my parents. I was so worried about it, you know. I uh-huh. had those little cassette players, so I would just hold the speaker up to my head. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, remember those? <laughs> I wonder how many people actually <laughs> good times. We just, know what those yeah, are. We just all, uh, isolated ourselves from the uh, listening. Um, so, okay, so they went out to San Francisco. The party was over. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. So then, what right. did they do? Yeah. So so yeah, I mean, then they basically moved to um, Mountain View, and 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 so I I grew up in San the San Jose area. Um, is it embarrassing that I don't even know where San Jose is? My California geography is horrible. Well, San Jose is basically like Silicon Valley, like Santa Clara. So just know, it's, like, it's where all the tech right. is. Okay. Know? So, I mean, the whole, the whole, like, growing up, I, I was always just kind of confused because it was like this um, conglomeration of places that used to be distinct, but now it was just this kind of like web of, you know, you would, you would call it like, you know, I'm going to Campbell or I'm going to Cupertino, but it was like, it was all like a, a mush right. that was mixed together. And I couldn't distinguish one place from another place. It was all just kind of this like sprawling mess. Um, so, and, and I saw, you know, growing up there, I saw a lot of changes um, because that was like, you know, the birth of the tech industry. And um now I go back there and it's just like this completely insane place that I don't even recognize anymore. But um, yeah, it was interesting uh, growing up there and I was always kind of like fascinated by what was going on in these office park places, like <laughs> you know, where they made software. Yeah. Nondescript, and, right? Yeah. Just like buildings with reflective yeah. windows that, it's like what goes on yeah, in those places. Yeah, it's like it, they were like spaceships or something. Yeah. Mystique. Um, so, yeah, yeah. But anyway, then I, uh, so I, I, I was there until you know through high school, and then and then I went to UCLA. So I moved to LA. Um, well, I was in 80, 80, 88. Yeah. So, yeah. well, in growing up in that area, I mean, how does creativity enter the picture? Were your parents did they do anything creative or? Yeah. Um, my dad, um, when I was a kid was, um, he was really interested in painting. He was really interested in architecture. Um, he was a writer. Um, he, he worked at a, at a magazine, um, for a while. Um, and he actually wrote a book when I was about 10, um, on creativity. Oh, wow. It's called how to be more creative. And it's, not in print anymore, but for a while it was really cool because you could go back before museum stores had kind of turned into what they are now. Um, I remember I could go into the Hirshhorn and um, uh, his book was there. It's pretty you know? cool. And you could, you could, you used to be able to find it in museum shops. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a cool little book that he, that he made. And um and he he did a lot of things. He took photographs. Uh, he was a painter for a while. He he rented a studio and made paintings. And I sort of hung out in the studio with him. And um, so he and he took me to art galleries, museums. So that was my first exposure to what art was. Yeah, that's pretty direct. It's not yeah. adjacent. Yeah. It was like in your life, in your life. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't like you know. A full-time artist or anything like that i mean he didn't end up being like a, a doing that as a, as a career right. but it was always just part of part of life part of 
what he was interested in and what I became interested in. And then, you know, I sort of became like that kid in elementary school that could draw really well. Like there was like one other kid I remember in my grade that could also draw. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I just sort of like got tagged with that identity early on. It's like, okay, I'm going to be an artist, I guess. And then, and then in high school, I was, uh, I was just, I was really into baseball when, when I was in middle school and in high school and uh for a while i thought i'd be like you know an illustrator or something like that like a sports illustrator oh yeah um but then you know kind of like later on in high school i started to learn more about art and definitely when i got to college um when i got to ucla and you had to basically choose between an art major and a design major and it just became very quickly apparent to me that art was what i wanted to do and not design it was like it just design seemed really boring you, to me, so. they were like do you want to get a job or do you not want to get a job and you're like i'm gonna go with the yeah. job <laughs> yeah i know i know those are the kinds of things you don't think about when you're i think we could 19 18 or 19 we had the luxury i think of not being privy or not knowing you know what i mean or not thinking about it i think nowadays kids yeah they yeah know. true like true it's, Oh yeah, there's yeah. no sort definitely. Of like, My daughter is a, is a first year college student, and that's definitely something that people are thinking about. No, yeah, she's thinking about. Yeah, so how do you feel? Right like, not that. to get off topic, but I feel like creativity is affected by that. Now, I know people are still going to be creative, and it's not like there's going to be less artists in the world or something. But I feel like there was something to be said. I don't know how it was when you were at UCLA, but like in undergraduate school for me, so much of this of of the whole third floor art department and studios and you know the art magazines and stuff it was so mysterious you know what i mean like there was a lot you just didn't know and like even when i applied to grad schools i didn't know like one of my teachers was like well this this and this school is good apply there that was like my research yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and nowadays i feel like there's so much information that i wonder if it, it's a little paralyzing you know what i mean or right I yeah i don't you know it's it's funny because it's I, i'm trying to remember what i felt at that time um i i think you know it's just well first of all you know back in those days the art world was just not as big and uh there just wasn't as much money in it as, as what it became. Yeah. And, you know, I, I arrived in, on the East coast in 1993. So that was right around the time in the early nineties when New York was really starting to go through changes, you know, all the galleries in Soho were moving to Chelsea. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of witnessed, you know, the, the end of, one era and the birth of another and um it didn't it, it didn't feel i guess what i would say is that like now it feels like it's an industry yeah. and back then it didn't feel like that it felt like a, maybe it was a community that you wanted to join and of course it, you know there were these you know super powerful and charismatic art dealers that you'd heard of and you know you wanted to like you know be in in this sort of in group or whatever but um 
it just it just didn't seem so much about like um about money and about um uh business just just all the all the all the you know um all the things that it 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 has become in in terms of like um uh, i i don't know i like I, I just remember like when when i was in new york or when i was showing in new york more i got really uh, dissatisfied with um you know, especially if you contrast it with art school yeah which is kind of like almost ridiculously idealistic and um not in tune with reality in a way but you know the the gallery scene not that i was like you know a big part of it or whatever but i just i was very put off by um focus on career and like oh where are you showing oh i'm doing you know like got to do work for this art fair or they've got this deadline coming and it's like it's just kind of like turned into some kind of a job in a way and um i just i i really didn't like that at all but anyway I, I don't think i had any idea of that going into it that that's what it was going to to be you know just have, you have this romantic notion that you're just going to like work and struggle and like you sort of also just accept like you're probably going to have to just you know hustle with part-time jobs just like right. you know that's just the way it is so yeah, you're just happy to be making it whether you're you're just happy yeah you're happy to i mean that's kind of always been my personal motto is like you know if i can just get up the next day and like make art then that's success yeah, you know that's all you need. you're just able to keep going right. you know so, yeah that's a yeah. really interesting idea i never thought of that but um it really did feel a little more like community based back then like it was like a community the the sort of the the downside of that was it was a little clickish you felt like you had to break in yeah now it yeah, just yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. a million roads at once that you could just go down that road. It's not so much a community. It's just like, you know, there's all these galleries, all this. It's huge. So you could just go jump in and yeah. go down that lane or jump in and go down that Before it used to be like one highway you're trying to get on or something. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really the right person to, like, I, I can't speak about like what it's like today because I, I honestly you know, I just can't keep up. And, um, but I remember, you know, back when I would go to New York regularly, um, especially in the nineties, you know, you'd get your little gallery guide and you'd have your little map of where to go. And it was like, it was manageable. You'd go to 57th street, you go to Soho, you go to Chelsea and like, you could cram it all in one day. And it was like, not super overwhelming. I mean, it was a long day. It was right. tough, but you could, like, see you could it do it. You could, well, yeah. you could do well, that now not, at art fairs. Not all, but you know, you could see the, the the kind of the main things that you felt like you right. you know you wanted to see. Yeah, so. but is it? I wonder, is it better though that there's a lot more galleries and a lot more people can show, and that it's you know not so narrow of a field of of venues and places. You know, because there's so, I think there's an up and downside to both of it. You know, because if you think of like, you know, the 60s in New York City, there was like what, like 10 galleries or something? You know, there wasn't that many mm -hmm. places. And it was basically like yeah. 15 dudes and two women or something. And that was the art world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, you're definitely right. And there could be sort of an element of, 
you know, being older and romanticizing a past and like, you know, oh, those were the days, that sort of thing. I mean, um, you know, things change. Yeah, you you're, <laughs> and you're not trying to make the art world great again, are you? <laughs> 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 like who's the gallerist's yeah. head that you picture whenever saying that phrase? Is it like, is it Sonabend or is it you know what I mean? Like what? Who's that? Or is it Mary? <laughs> like what? What's the old <laughs> make the art world great again? Yeah, I it's it's I feel like no matter what, there's always a sweet spot when it comes to things, and I feel like for some reason the pendulum always swings too far the other way. You know, no matter what, it's like if a band is really good. And they get more attention, you know, and they grow into that. And then sooner or later, it just gets way too big. And then it just, you know, mm -hmm. dies mm -hmm. or something. I don't know. There's that sweet spot in life is really tough to find and then dig into and just ride it out. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And, and also, um, I, I think that if you're a, uh, if you're genuinely a creative person, and you're really doing art then you're going to grow and change and you're going to you know you're not gonna um so yeah you can kind of hit that sweet spot but then you're not going to stay there you know because like um it, it's almost for me there's like this sort of, sort of force compelling me to um to keep moving uh, which is sort of frustrating uh, an aspect of myself that i'm frustrated by is that um i i feel that sometimes you know i'll invest a lot of energy and a lot of time into developing something and then you know i'll make a few paintings and it's like, okay, I'm now I'm done with that. I got to move on to like, now I've got this interest over here. And it's like, I quick, I, you know, I'm, I'm good at the kind of creative part of it and not as good with the, the follow through and the implementation, I think. And um, so I think that I would like to be able to, um, I'm not sure how this like really relates to what we we're talking about, but just, um, just kind of stay somewhere a little bit. But I, I also just feel like, you know, maybe that's just the way it goes. It's like you're not going to ever be happy or satisfied because you are always feeling like you want to go on to the next cool idea or the next exciting thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle. Yeah, I think it's conditional upon a person too because there's some people who hit a groove. There's some people, you know, I remember when Tom Freeman came to my grad school and gave a lecture and he was talking about how he painted his studio all white and he would just before he went to the studio in the morning he would just take an object and they walk into this room is all white room nothing in there no windows and he would just sit the object down and think about it and then he would come up with an idea ideal you know mm -hmm. hopefully that of mm -hmm. of that tennis ball and like oh i'll pick the fuzz off it and build it into a mound of tennis ball fuzz or something so it was just kind of like every day was like a forced new idea or something. And then there's someone mm -hmm. like on Kawada who does the date every single day. And there's something beautifully, you know, meditative uh -huh. and, and like, you know, amazing about that too. So I think the person has to listen to their own 
you know, needs and feeling. Because if you try to betray that, you're just forcing yourself to do something outside of your wheelhouse in a way. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. Well, getting back to, let's get back to UCLA. What do you, so you decide to go into the non-job world (laughs) of of art. (laughs) So did you start like taking studio classes and what was your work like at UCLA and how was the undergrad program there? What was it like? So when I was there, it was really undergoing a change um, because a lot of the older faculty who had been around for a really long time were retiring. And so you had new people coming in. Um, so for example, Larry Pittman came, came in about you know, halfway through my time there. I imagine um, that's like a shot of B12, but maybe not. <laughs> Some energy there. I guess. Well, he was definitely different from the one of my professors who retired. I mean, it was just a completely... 180. Um, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. good, though. Um, so, like, shake it up. It's good. It's good to have both perspectives. Yeah. But it, 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 I think that that's really when it became... Um, kind of kind of plugged into the art world and became like a one of the you know it's like one of the top grad schools now but like that's when they really kind of brought in a lot of the star faculty i mean um you know chris burden was was there although i didn't really i didn't ever see him um uh charlie ray was there um but um they they really kind of shaped it into what what it is uh now but um but anyway in terms of like what i was doing uh my first two years i was just kind of like fumbling around just you know doing typical art student assignments and just trying to find my way not really knowing what i was doing i remember actually not through school at all but through um there used to be a uh a bookstore over on the third street promenade before it was like the big mall that it is now it used to just be this kind of funky old you know strip of mostly abandoned vacant (laughs) shops but there was this little bookstore there that sold used books and um i didn't know who ed riche was but i found this uh book this catalog from his um retrospective and I just thought it was like the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and so this was, I guess, probably between my second and third years at UCLA. And I just totally fell in love with his work. And um, that summer, um, I started to make um, these kind of collages or, or paintings with um, things that I cut out from ads and with text and and um you know like like travel ads like people on the beach or something like that and then i put it in this painting which looked like semi-apocalyptic or something um so i I started doing that and this was you know when i was not in school the summer between my second and third years and then and then my junior year when i i i kind of i uh i took a painting class with roger herman um who he he really influenced my work a lot because um, he he gave me one of his old slide projectors and it's like this beat up thing with lots of 
paint on it. The carousel. I was like, oh, yeah. cool. So yeah, so I, I started going around taking slides of just around LA. Um, and I was working on the West Side at that time. And so I, I spent a lot of time driving or I had a scooter. And so I rode my scooter back and forth. And I just started photographing things. And, and um, so that my beginning of my junior year, uh, I did like paintings of police cars. Like I went over to the Santa Monica police station and I photographed rows of police cars. And then I would paint it from the slide. Um, I did paintings of parking lots, um, just office park buildings, just kind of things around LA, yeah. you know? And I started doing, and then I started doing these, um, uh, I worked at night. And so I, I would often drive or ride on my scooter home at night. And um, I just would always see people on the street in front of these, um, you know, lit up shop windows. And they were just kind of this, these mysterious characters to me. And um, also at this time, I was like hugely, I saw the uh, Gerhard Richter show, um, the, what is it? The October 1977 body of work. I saw that at the Lannan Foundation and that kind of just blew me away as well. And so I, I kind of went through a Gerhard Richter phase where I was um, taking photographs of the, these people at night on the streets of LA and then, and then um, uh, painting them kind of photorealistically. And of course the, the, the photographs were blurry because it was at night. And so I, ca I kept all the blurriness in there, which is like, you know, obviously it's a Gerhard Richter thing. Um, and um, yeah, I took a drawing class and I, uh, so I started doing those images on, on grocery bags actually. Um, and then those, I ended up showing those actually, when I got to the East Coast in 93, I ended up showing those at OK Harris Gallery. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, was that on Broadway, yeah. the one on West Broadway? Uh, on West Broadway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he thought those were cool. So Ivan did. Um, but anyway, and then, um, uh, yeah, so I kind of kept doing that uh for my junior year and then my senior year i started doing these um the again black and white photographs of things like um yeah it's like my artistic dna my artistic parents were ed richet and gerhard richter <laughs> and so <laughs> these uh i was taking photographs of like 7-elevens and liquor stores all at night um ralph's bonds you know grocery stores things like that and then um i was painting them on or actually i was using these oil stick uh oil stick uh black and white drawings on these wood panels and uh i sort of created this texture on the panel first by um and this was like several months before the uh, the riots in 92 um, but I took ashes from the fireplace and I mixed it with uh, polymer and then applied it to the wood panel and I sanded it down. And then I did the drawings over that. And I was trying to get this sense of like this image was just this veneer that was very thinly drawn right over this kind of encrusted ash surface. Um, so that's what I did the rest of my time 
um, at UCLA. And then did you go straight to, you went to San Francisco, right, after that? So I went straight to um, San Francisco from UCLA to the Art Institute. Um, and um, Was that post-bac or an MFA program? It was an MFA program. And I got there, and because they had too many students, they separated off a group of us. And our, our studios at that time were on Market Street in like an office building. And so you had the kind of main floor, what felt like an art studio. I mean, it was like, you know, funky wooden floors and paint everywhere. And just, it looked like an art studio, yeah. studios. And then they, they put like a group of like five of us separately on to like two floors or three floors above. And it was like this office <laughs> like they had to put stuff down and it just like it was just like stupid and, and we were totally separated from the rest of the group and you know it just wasn't working yeah. it wasn't it's like you know you're supposed to you feel like you go to grad school you're supposed to have this experience right you're supposed to your work is supposed to undergo this transformation and like you know you're paying all this money and it just wasn't happening and i i was not happy with the program at all um and so i left and um i ended up taking you know the next two and a half years off uh and then i eventually uh went to RISD and entered there in uh 95. and it's good that you noticed it before you just graduated and you were like all right i'm done i i just didn't have the experience i wanted to yeah yeah i yeah, and I I'm sure RISD so. had uh, that. I mean, RISD is community. RISD definitely had that. I was very happy there. I had a great experience there. And, and it was kind of like um, the opposite of what I experienced in San Francisco, because at that time, uh, I, I think, you know, now or even shortly after I was there, it, the program got much bigger because they had their new studios that were off campus. But um, at that time, we had our studios in Memorial Hall, and there was only, I think there were only like eight of us in, in our class. And so it was a really small group and, you know, it just felt like a family and um, no, no privacy in the studios. Like you couldn't, there was no door to shut. There were just these little partitions. And so it just kind of felt like you were thrown together in this fishbowl in a way. And you just, you had to, you, you had to be in contact with your 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 classmates right. there's just no choice about it and that's what i wanted you know i didn't want to be separated off yeah like i was in on San the Francisco. third floor so yeah yeah behind a desk so <laughs> yeah yeah um so what what years were you at RISD? um so fall of 95 to spring of 97 so there was some stuff percolating at that point right i mean it wasn't quite we're not talking like fort thunder like all that stuff wasn't going crazy yet right as far as like the music scene there and or were you pretty much just doing the art stuff and yeah i mean i was just working yeah. <laughs> i wasn't yeah i mean uh, i i sort of went out with uh our little group you know we'd go go to the, the restaurant down uh off campus a little bit or we'd go you know, play pool and have drinks or whatever, but 
you know, I was, I was mostly working and, and actually my, um, my fiance at the time now wife was, um, in New Haven. And so, um, that first year, I actually, I spent a lot of time, like on weekends, I'd go back to New Haven. Um, so I kind of missed out on some of the social stuff that was going on, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was really, I, I just wanted to work as much as possible. I remember my second year, um, I would go in at seven in the morning just to get some work done because once things started to happen, it's like, you just, you, you know, you just get bothered. Distracted, yeah. It's hard. Yeah, totally distracted and things just happen. And so, yeah. And the work transformation there, was it getting closer to what, you know, your work was when it came out? Like where does that layering architectural, like, you know, throwing those spaces into things like when did that start to develop yeah well okay so so before i got there you know i mentioned the slide projector and um in the summer of 94 um i i actually spent the summer in in dc my wife was um she had some internships and um so i i rented a studio and I started playing around and I had done this a little bit when I was at UCLA, but I really kind of played around with this more um, is I started shifting the projector around and this isn't like something I came up with. I mean, Roger Herman was doing that too, but, um, and so I, I kind of got it from him and I thought, Oh, that's a really cool idea. I'm going to do that. So, <laughs> but I, I had a bunch of slides that I had taken from just like driving around, like, uh, you know, I had done the drive from, uh, from New Haven to DC a number of times. So I had a bunch of slides of that, like on the New Jersey turnpike. Ugh, brutal. 95. And so, what a road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I made some kind of just straightforward paintings from, from the images, but then I also made paintings where I was, um, shifting the slide around I do multiple different slides and just kind of like collage not not collaging uh per se but but in terms of like uh almost like a cinematic montage effect of of like throwing in imagery that would layer over other imagery and I remember when I got to RISD um uh Michael Young who was one of our kind of main professors there at the time he looked at my I, I think I think at the time I thought, oh, these my little straightforward things of the New Jersey Turnpike, those are really good. And these other experimental things are just like weird and crappy and like I don't I'm kind of embarrassed by them. And I had them maybe over in a corner or something. And and so I showed him I had them all pinned up on my wall. And I remember this is like one of the first critiques. And he looks at them and then he looks at me and he says, you know, I, I find I'm I find these really uninteresting. And I, and I basically said, yeah, I, I do too. You're right. They are. <laughs> it's such a brutal critique. <laughs> but I was, I, I was kind of like, uh, I kind of was expecting it or like, that's what I kind of signed up for. Like I wanted to, it's like, okay, I'm doing this because I don't know what else to do help me you know like i need to change so uh and then he and then he i showed him my my experiments that were just these weird wood channel things that i ended up throwing away later but 
he thought those were very interesting. And so, you know, I kind of put that in my back pocket a little bit. And I, I had come into RISD uh, the, the summer before I had taken a, a bus trip um, from New York to San Francisco and back, although I stayed a couple weeks uh, in San Francisco. So it was broken up, but, um, but I, my, this project I was doing was just like, I'm gonna take a bunch of slides and I don't really know what I'm gonna do with these at all, but I'm just gonna like take a bunch of pictures. And I'm, when I get back, I'm gonna figure out what I'm gonna do with them. And, um, and so I started like my whole kind of first month or two at RISD, I was just, because I didn't know what else to do, I was just, I, I would pick out a couple of these that I thought there was something interesting going on in there. And I would just, I would draw them, I would paint them. It's almost like uh, I was doing something kind of just mind-numbingly mind boring because I was trying to make something happen. Right. Like I, was, I just wanted to like allow something else to happen. It's like, okay, this is so stupid. I have to do something else. And eventually what clicked was that um, I, I was, I made this little drawing, this little pencil drawing of a, a mobile station in like Arizona somewhere, or New Mexico or something like that. And um, by the time I was done with it, it was like, okay, this is a nice little pencil drawing. Like it's okay. You're like contemporary Edward Hopper or something like that's great. But then I, I kind of thought, and, and, you know, you know how it is in grad school, you're reading all these things, you're being exposed to all these, you're like constantly thinking, yeah. right? And one day I just kind of, it just kind of clicked that like, you don't actually, when you're, when you're going about in the landscape like that, you're not, you know, as a, as a person who's looking for a gas station or a fast food restaurant or something like that, you're not actually looking at the place like aesthetically you're you're kind of reading the landscape you know especially especially on a like a cross-country road trip like that you see all these signs that are just like you know they're they're these really really tall signs that you can see from miles away practically and they're just kind of like beckoning you like here stop here stop here right and and so i it kind of hit me that like you know I'm, I'm reading this gas station, this mobile gas station, as I would read like text or something. Right. Like I'm not actually seeing it as a, as a, you know, aesthetic place. And so I photocopied the drawing and I made a little abstract icon based on the mobile logo. Um, and then I, I cut it out and I pasted it over the gas station. So it was like, you know, if you can imagine, like, you know, when you see, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Terminator and you see through his eyes right. and you see all the little readout thing, right? It's okay. Okay. I'm a consumer and now I have identified a gas station, like that kind of thing, right? And then the next step was to say, okay, well, maybe I take these images and I just trace out the architecture, like the gas canopy or the sign or the, you know, the road stripes or things like that but then they leave out everything else and so i ended up with these works on paper that were just these kind of abstract shapes but you could totally tell what they yeah. were you know because we we all see that 
out there all the time. And so I was leaving out nature and I was putting in um, architecture and signage and things like that. Anything kind of, you know, brightly colored and geometric Man-made. and all that. Handmade, yeah. And, and then the next step after that was then I thought, okay, well, what if th- 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 I'm able to read that because it's isolated and I'm not confused by that. Like I, I can tell what that is, right? Because I have this vocabulary of the American sprawlscape at my disposal. But what if I combine that with another one and then they start to, it's almost like noise, right? Like you can't get the signal through the noise. And so I started, I made a, um, I started making a painting that was kind of, I wouldn't say it's small, but it's, it was like maybe like four feet by six feet, something like that um, in oil paint. And I started layering these geometric elements on there. And, um, and then I showed it in a, in a critique and, and, the, and my, my professors were, they thought it was interesting, but they thought, they said, well, you should really make it bigger. You know, uh, the you old, do this, you should do that. The old art school yeah. adage, yeah. the old critique. Yeah. This would be great if it were here. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to max out. I'm going to, I'm going to get the biggest, I'm going to fill this wall the biggest I can. And I had a blank canvas that was just raw canvas and, and, you know, uh, just with like matte medium on it. So it was clear, uh, not gessoed. And, and then I started, I, I think I started out in oil, but then it quickly became apparent that like oil was the completely wrong way to go because it took forever to dry. So then I switched to acrylic and I took, sorry, this is kind of going on a bit, but I took all of these slides I had from this bus trip, which was like 200 something. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take all of every single slide from this trip, the entire collection. I'm going to start from the first one. I'm going to go to the last one and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to paint in every single artificial geometric you know handmade uh or human made element in there like road signs you know signage uh architecture anything that was like you know painted or colored but you know was um you know not part of the natural landscape so i didn't really do like architecture at that point it was more like the kind of the stripes that you would see on on the the gas station canopies, things like that. And so I, I did that. I started layering it and it was kind of insane because it's like this painting was like a living, growing thing that just developed on its own. And I had no, I'd set up this kind of system or this kind of almost like this algorithm and I didn't know what it was going to do, where it was going to go. And there were times when it was like, oh, this is a cool painting. And then like a big old blue thing would go cover everything. And I just kept going on and on like that. And it took me, you know, I started that probably in my fall, my first um, first semester there, but I didn't finish it until the following summer. Wow, that's a, for grad school, that's a big chunk. Yeah, yeah. And that was part of the problem is that like, I didn't get anything else done. (laughs) (laughs) You put a lot of your eggs in that painting basket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was kind of almost like a memory map of the trip in a way, but it was just. Yeah, it was. It was. It it definitely was re-experiencing the trip. Yeah. In a in just a different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and a sort of improvisational yeah. layering, 
a little bit. I'm sure a little bit of randomness to it, but then also reacting to the formal aspects of the painting and you know building some sort of alternative space because all the work even into is there was that painting called the mirror the one with the sort of pixelated faces that emerged yeah, i mean that's yeah. a really mm -hmm. crazy cool painting but it's the space in it is so you know it's funny because early on when i would see you know the compositions of the paintings there was this sort of like tweaked subverted you know perspective going on that felt like you know kind of ephemeral or something and motion based but then like when you start playing with SketchUp or 3D Men like Studio Max or like other programs, some of those paintings, you know, later on, you start to see a digital sort of like three-dimensional environment being created or at least referenced. Not that it was literal, but yeah. it feels yeah. like that kind of, you know, virtual environment. Yeah, well, it, it definitely was because I started using, I started using 3D modeling in... Um, 2001 after my first show um, th that I was finally able to take the time and say, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. And, but yeah, it, and then I just kind of got sucked into it. So the, like the work you're talking about, that body of work was, you know, it, it was a virtual space, but it's not like, it's not like I could open up that scene in the computer and enter into it because I had to actually build it. I mean, I'm sure you know how this yeah. is. Like, you just can't load all that much stuff into a virtual space at one time because it'll crash. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's like I, I found the 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 gray sort of Cartesian virtual space really interesting. It's like this kind of box that you could put anything into. And you could render it, but then you could like repeat that and you could like, you know, you could make a whole world, but you, you wouldn't be able to see that whole world at one time. You'd have to like actually construct it through your renderings. And so say, okay, I put this here and then I render it or bring it into Photoshop and then I can put it together. Yeah. You know, so it actually doesn't really come together until you get it into Photoshop. Isn't it funny though? So how in, in the 3D space, you only see it in kind of like a block right. form. Yeah, it's that kind yeah. of... What's it feels like a sketch in a way of what volume? It's like a it's like, like a dummy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's this sense of like a simulacrum, but in a sketching. But it's a foreign space too. Like the virtual space, I feel like is still foreign to us. Although, when you look at those images now, doesn't it feel so much different than like it would have in two thousand ten or two thousand eight? You know what I mean? Because of how prominent three dimensional imagery has become in our sort of, you know our lexicon of uh, of image making and movies and you know digital yeah. internet and yeah. stuff it feels yeah, less so. yeah like remember max headroom that oh, was yeah. weird yeah. and it's not that yeah. weird like if you look at it now it's like no well, nothing's you know nothing's or <laughs> or actually you might know this remember the uh, money for nothing video by dire straits that yeah. blew uh -huh. my mind as a kid when i saw that i mean it was uh -huh. so weird and we were yeah. just we, we didn't know that environment. We weren't familiar with the sort of digital rendering environment, you know, and it was pretty analogy at that point, kind of like. Faded. Yeah, I mean, it's like back then, which I think is very different from today, actually, is that we were always 
looking ahead to like, oh, this is coming. This is going to be so like right. digital cameras. Wow, that's going to be so cool. And like photo, I remember the first time I used Photoshop, I was like, oh, this is so amazing. This is like a revolution and how I can put an image together. And then there's this and then there's this. And then the you know, finally it's like, the iPod was huge. you know, yeah, the iPod. And then, and then you get the iPhone and then you get social media. And then you get, and it's like, wait a minute, like, now maybe we don't want the next thing like can we just like slow down and like wait That's what I mean. that... because the world is being destroyed by misinformation exactly. and all these things that... so it's like we so it's a very different dynamic now where it's 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 like you know no thank you like please stop now but back then it was like oh this is so exciting and it really you know i look back on when it really shifted for me was was in the in the 2000s yeah because I, you know, I, like I said, I was super excited about, you know, virtual modeling and how I could use that for paintings. It's like, oh, this painting is like this old medium and virtual space is this new thing. And isn't that cool that you can combine those two things? And then it's like you become, uh, well, first of all, in tech, everything changes and you can't, it's like, I wish they would just keep the software. It's like, okay, I've learned the software. Now just keep it like that, that so that sell. I don't have to go relearn everything. Sell. And it's like, no, the world will not stop. It will, it will keep going yes. and you will be forced to keep up with it. And it just became like, oh my God, this is exhausting. I don't want to do this. Like this is, I'm a slave to this system. And it's all about money. It's and, all about making more and selling more yeah. stuff. It's the pendulum swing yeah. I was telling you about that I was talking about. Like you're talking about that sweet spot where you're there's an anticipatory feeling of like glee in what you might discover. And then it just mm. becomes transparent. It goes too far and then you just know why they're releasing new things. It's like, you know, the iPod could have done it for all of us pretty much. Do we need like, you know, the umpteenth iteration of like, you know, well now mm -hmm. it's all compressed into one machine, which is I don't know. It's mm -hmm. just it it went too far in the other direction to where you you want to retreat yeah. from it. Remember when? Yeah, but you could you know that's that's a lesson about how the world definitely. is actually. Yes, you I know? like that's something that we have to take into consideration. Like we have to take account of as artists. Like we have to try to work with that, or I I feel like I have to try to represent that or express yeah. that in my work and i don't know how to do it at this point or i'm trying to do it i guess but um yeah well what happened i mean it's yeah. such an interesting arc to talk about your painting as your painting shifted through these you know um influences of uh, a generative kind of like reflection of, of you know maybe using the computer or maybe using you know slides or projectors or whatever it was just like we use pencils and rollers or whatever those tools that the arc of technology, you know, as you're saying, growing so rapidly, almost like a singularity in a way of just like, boom, it's all mm -hmm. there. You know, mm -hmm. how did your work, did it divert from that or did it disengage with it? Or Because when I look at your newer stuff, I don't know where you, I mean, it's interesting. It's changing. Your work's always changing. But I don't know, did you take a left, turn at albuquerque or are you still on the, the train but you're just like breaking mm -hmm. it down into different 
areas. I don't. I'm, I'm interested in how the work changed from that point of like you start using the computer to build up these spaces, but then, then mm-hmm. what happened? Well, um, I think for a long time I've had this feeling of, of what I'm trying to do with the work in terms of telling a story or at least being a story sort of space, maybe like a mythological space. And um, and it's been c- kind of elusive to me for a really long time. And sometimes I feel like it will always be that and I'll never, I'll never get it. I'll never sort of figure out what I'm trying to figure out. Um, you know, I, I get sort of images that just come into my head about uh, for, for scenes that I could paint. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because like, you know, you, you look at the history of my work or whatever, and, and you see where I've been. And it doesn't really totally reflect, I mean, that, that reflects where I was. It doesn't reflect where I am now. And I, I'm still trying to figure out how to express what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to, what's in there, you know, I'm trying to, trying to bring it out. And I'm constantly trying things, you know, like I'm, I'll say to myself, what if I, what if I try this? You know, what, what would happen if I did this? Or, um, but I think that, you know, something that happens, you know, when you start to show and you start to get known for a certain kind of work, especially when you're working with galleries and you're, you know, talking about sales and things like that is that they they really just want you it's like you've established you know a brand right or a or a style that people associate with you and they really don't want you to deviate from that too much uh you know they say that they you know want to see what exciting new things you're going to do etc but i i really don't think that that you know they want it um, they want the same thing, but just a little different, like the next, you know, version of, of that. But fundamentally, they don't really want something altogether different or from, from left field or anything. And um, it kind of makes for a very conservative um, paradigm, right. I think, that is very dangerous and destructive for anyone who's a creative person and I more and more found myself constricted by that mentality or that uh, internalized pressure or internalized voice that is telling me to kind of stay in this lane so to speak and 
I had this experience in 2007. Uh, and in the kind of the mid 2000s, there was a time when I was speaking about my work fairly regularly. I get invited to, you know, art school. Uh, in this case, I was invited by Microsoft because they had bought some of my prints. And so I was invited to come speak about my work. And so I went out to Seattle. And I just really got tired of talking about my work. Like, because you're, you're focused on the past, right. you know, you're focused on, okay, I did this. And this is, this is the story of how I got to, you know, where I am now. And this is everything that I did. And it's like, I just wanted to stop talking about this. Like, I just want to forget that. <laughs> I don't want to think about that anymore. Sorry, you know? I hope this podcast and, is um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's Sorry, that? because I feel like I'm asking you to talk about all this stuff. Well, no, it's okay, because I, I know that that's what we're doing. Right, yeah, and, yeah. and to be frank with you, I haven't done it in a long right. time, so it's okay. But, um, but at that time, I was doing it more, you know, because I just said yes to everything. And, and um and I just said to myself, you know, I just want this to stop. <laughs> yeah, you feel like a soundbite of yourself, like, right? You feel like you're just saying the things like, "If I've done that where I went through a stretch of giving a lot of talks about my work. And then I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm just tired of talking about my work. And it's the same thing because you have your lecture, you have your slides. And yeah, it's yeah, like, am yeah. I just describing? Now when I give talks, I don't just talk about anything. You know what I mean? I don't care. And I always thought that was weird was I was in school, someone would come in, like an artist would come in and give a talk about something else, you know, and like maybe pull their work mm -hmm. into it and how they're influenced. And now I kind of mm -hmm. get it. It's kind of fun to, yeah. to just talk. And, you know, I teach, yeah, so yeah. I get used to that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it can get redundant if you're just sitting there being like, well, this is what I started with and this is what I, you know, same yeah, thing. Yeah. And that, don't you think some of that is just baked in and this refers back to what you're saying before for some reason in the art world it's like just things are everyone just agrees to oh this is how it is and no one ever challenges it really it's like with lectures it's like oh this is how we're going to do a lecture you're going to start with the stuff from mm -hmm. grad school and like move your way through mm -hmm. and then take mm -hmm. some questions and it's a, no one comes in well, not no one but rarely does someone come in and like do something different you know what i mean yeah yeah well, and then if you do, it's people are confused and they don't know what to make of it. I, I remember back in 2013. Be. Yeah, I know. I, back in 2013, <laughs> I, I was I, I was invited to give a talk, and I said, okay, I'm not I'm not going to do the same thing <laughs> right. again. I'm, so I I actually wrote something. I wrote an essay, and it was quite long, and I I feel bad that it went on for so long. But so I I, I prepared the slides to just kind of run and they didn't really have anything to do with what I was, what I wrote. That sounds good. But, but I wanted to, I wanted to express some ideas that I had that I just wanted to talk about. And I, I let the images run in the background and, um, and I just, I just read my essay, but. Um, I mean, did people then, throw bananas at you or something or did they boo you off the stage? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think they were, confused and like why you know why is he talking about this and not talking about his paintings or you know in retrospect is probably maybe you know i should have done it differently but uh um it was also it was kind of a not the most positive essay in the world <laughs> <laughs> but people thought it was very it was negative a um, yeah. yeah a little, little bit of a downer but um i don't know i just i just felt like i had to 
do something yeah. different, you know, and, and, and that's the experience I had back in 2007 as well when I went to Microsoft and then I visited a friend up in Vancouver and I just like sat the morning of uh, my, you know, I was supposed to drive back to Seattle for my flight and I just sat there in the park and I just had this moment where I was like, I had to, I had to change things up in a way I didn't know what it was going to be yet, but I had to try something completely different. And then in, uh, in 2010, around the time that the work that you were talking about with the mirror, I was actually doing, I was, I was doing two different bodies of work at the same time. I was doing that work um, in one studio. And then, and then in my home studio, I was just like giving myself the freedom to just like make whatever and just like totally experiment and just try things out and just make bad work really well kind of like in school because um, you're making the straightforward ones and the ones over that you were hiding of the experimental ones you know yeah yeah true yeah but do you think to my point before about you know how we just follow the rules or something these like made up rules that who really made them it's just tradition or something do you think a lot of it is just internalized or like, oh, we can't make a big left turn in our work because everyone's going to be like, that's not on brand or that's weird. But then there's so many people who do that, who just make another body of work that's like, look at someone like Rob Pruitt. I mean, mm -hmm. you, every show, you don't know what the hell you're going to get. And people love it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. One day it's pandas, yeah. the next one it's like, we're, and then, you know, I wonder if, you know, it's more self-imposed. We're just like, oh, no one wants us to make a big change or we got to look the same or people are going to not know who did it. You know, it's like, remember when Carol Dunham mm -hmm. first started, uh, fairly recently started painting people? Like he was always mm -hmm. doing sort of, you know, anthropomorphic stuff that was kind of body-like, but it was never the body. And then all of a sudden he just started painting cavemen and people went crazy for it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. oh mm -hmm. almost like a cathartic like oh thank god he did something different or like he just went all the way there <laughs> you know yeah i just wonder yeah. if a lot of that is like a, a lot as artists we subscribe to the doctrine of tradition or what we think we're supposed to do when we can actually just go ahead and do whatever the hell we want yeah i mean people are gonna there's just as many people who are gonna be like oh that's not like his work i don't like that that doesn't look like his older stuff. There's going to be just as many people who say that as other people who say like, oh God, the same. I mean, he's just, we're still doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah. you might as well, you, you can't yeah, please no everyone. What, you might yeah. as well just do whatever the hell you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's true uh, to a certain extent, but I think that there are also real world consequences to um, radically changing your work because just in terms of like, you know, practical things like sales, you know, or just people aren't into your work anymore. Like, or just, you know, right. and, and th that's, it's tough to, to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, do that even though i understand like maybe people aren't going to like this maybe they're going to be like what what this isn't what we you know are expecting uh it's not going to sell you know various things um you know your gallery isn't enthused anymore whatever 
And uh, so I think that those are real. Those are those are real consequences to right. to. So it's not it's not like I mean you can do whatever you want, but it's you a risk. have to also. Yeah. Yeah, it's a risk, and you have to know those risks um, when you make those decisions. Yeah, although people might stop buying your work anyway, if, even if it's the same stuff. True. I mean, yeah, you, that's true. You know, I think you have to listen to your heart, really. You know, oh, otherwise yeah. you're just yeah. it's and it is slightly depressing from the the outside the artist's world of thinking that every artist is just like gotta like land on something and then that's them for the rest of their life. It's like, oh yeah, that's the red and white yeah. guy. Or that's the lady who just paints hair. And then that's all you could right. do. So your life is basically just like a quote of one style of doing something. That's a little depressing. Right. Unless you love yeah. to do that. But I, I think that there are a lot of people who subscribe oh, of to course. That. You know, I, I, I had a friend who felt that way. You know, we had a lot of disagreements about that. And um, so, yeah. It's probably a lot. <laughs> I guess maybe there's just different, you know, some pe- for some people that's that's fine. They they're happy with yeah. that they can do that but I, I can't do that i have a feeling that alex katz likes to make alex katz paintings you know what i mean yeah like i don't mm-hmm. think he's beating a dead horse even though he's making his paintings you know they're pretty him yeah you know yeah but i would imagine that he would be the it would be hardest for him to make that left turn or that 180 because when you're actually selling stuff for a lot, like when you have that audience, it's easier. That's why grad school or like undergrad, that's why school is so great. You can just, you know, shit to bed every week and just make terrible stuff and you just flip it. You know, you're like, all right, got that out of my system. I tell my students all Mm -hmm. the time, don't be afraid to make bad work. Get it out of your system. Exercise as demons, Mm -hmm. you know, move through that stuff. But there's a, there's, there's a, you know, freedom to it because you're not under the microscope. Yeah. Yeah. But I think even in school, you're um, thinking about critique. Oh no, it wasn't easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to say to someone, go ahead and make a bad painting, but then when you hang it up and you got to, you know, face the music, it's not easy. Right. I had a few of those. And also it's like at, at that time you're trying to put together you know, if you're an undergrad, you're trying to put together a body of work that you can apply to grad school with. And if you're a grad student, you're trying to put together a body of work that you can go go try to show. Right. So it's like you're even then you're 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 not really totally at liberty to just kind of like I mean it is true what you're saying that you're not under the microscope, but you know, you are thinking about career oh, things yeah. and there's that pressure putting together good work right you know, so yeah well when you what year did he move to dc so we we moved to dc um well we moved to dc right after i finished RISD. so but then uh so i was here in uh the rest of 97 98 but then in 99 we moved to new york and we were in New York until 2002, and then we moved to DC. And this is because of your wife's um, work, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so we were lucky enough back in 1999 that she was um, actually able to work on Hillary Clinton's Senate campaign. Right. And so you know, the stars were aligned, so to speak, so that I could go to New York and do what I wanted to do, and she could 
be in New York. But then when that ended, it, there wasn't really much for her to do there. And, um, and so I agreed to, you know, by then I was uh, showing at Greenberg Van Doren. I'd had my first show and, you know, trying to get ready for the second one. And so I thought, no, I could, I can go. So that's when we, we first moved to uh, Maryland in 2002. And then in 2003, we moved to DC. DC is a, uh, a wonderful, weird place, isn't it? <laughs> it's got such great parts of it. And, and it's a little, it's, it's also charged in a weird way too, I think. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, it's, it's a, it's a one industry town, yeah. so, so to speak. It's like it's dominated by politics. So it's a, it's a little strange in that respect. Um, uh, but the museums, you know, museums are great. Um, that's a nice feature. I mean, before COVID, I, I, I haven't really been during COVID at all, but I think I went one time. But, uh, you know, I used to go fairly often. And um, yeah, I love the National Gallery. I don't love the Hirshhorn that much. I go there probably less. Um, uh, the uh, Museum of American Art is good, but yeah, the National Gallery is, is, is one that I go to probably the most often. Yeah. And there's good food around there too. And your studio, is it at home or do you have a separate space? What's your work life? It's like? at home, it's at home. Uh, so right now I'm in my office, which is in the basement of our house and then i in in the garage uh, is where my painting studio is and several times over the last you know uh, 15 years or so i've had outside studios that i've rented like particularly when i have assistants working for yeah. me it just makes more sense so i i rent to the space in the 2000s i, I rented a space downtown for a while and then for a little while I, I actually rented this kind of house out in Virginia out in the woods um, and I've also rented a place uh, over in Tacoma Park so but right now it's just home yeah and uh, what are you working on these days well you know so you probably can see on my website that I've been making these head paintings yeah. for the last few years and so I'm doing those now um and i'm uh, i'm kind of i'm working with very archaic imagery like so like uh neolithic and uh you know little little figurines images of, of them um or also like um you know celtic heads, uh, things like that, <clears throat> working with those. So very, very old things. And then, um, but also imagery of like social media celebrities and like Instagram celebrities and uh, facial recognition imagery. Uh, started to, been making these masks over the last few years, which are kind of funky and not really, I mean, yeah, speaking of bad paintings, they're like bad masks, but <laughs> so I'm still trying to perfect that, uh, which is like a slow going process, but 
you know, I make these, I've, I've been trying to go from the two-dimensional head painting composition to then make it into a mask. Um, so I've developed a few techniques to do that. And then I'll put on the mask and then um, photograph myself. And so through the mask, you know, you can kind of see my eyes or my mouth or something. And so I'll start to put those in the images as well. Um, is that that painting but, uh, uh, joy? Is that like what you're talking about? Um, yeah, that's sort of what I'm talking about. I mean, that one's a little that's older. That's from 2018. Yeah. So what I'm doing now is is kind of different. But yeah, yeah, sort of in that in that vein. It's definitely yeah. like, you know, framing the face, basically. You know, like yeah, a portrait. yeah, yeah, but you know, I'm I'm trying to get to the place actually. You know, speaking about how technology is like you have to keep up with it and sort of feel enslaved to it, is that I'm trying to sort of move to you know I, I'm still I still can't really do without it. <laughs> like I can't do without Photoshop, for example. Um, I've actually been without 3D modeling for. Uh, a while let's see how long has it been at least a year maybe maybe more than a year um because my my old computer that i had i had the software on um crashed and so i i lost and so now everything is subscription service and so i was like oh, you know what like they're gonna make me spend <laughs> like however much money a month and so like i'm not going to do it so i i decided okay i'm going to try to not use that and see what happens and you know it's kind of tough to it's you know you feel like an addict right. in a way like trying to break yourself of that um for a long time i felt that way about the slide projector it's like okay can i just can i make paintings without a slide projector um so you know you figure out ways but uh but anyway i'm trying to move to this kind of post-technological um, paradigm in a way where I'm making more three-dimensional actual physical models. Um, so I'm making masks and I want to make sort of uh, use, use my archive of, of digital things that I've made, but then sort of convert them into like analog physical things uh, and then, and then use those to, uh, to make the paintings. Nice. So, um, all right. Last question is what's music to, I mean, what are, what are you listening to when you work? Is it silence? You like music? Yeah. So books on tape. I'm the kind of person <laughs> that, that like, you know, I always have to have a system, right. Or a schedule. Uh, so I, I listen to different kinds of music depending on the time of day. So, uh, in the morning, I actually, I listen to a lot of soundtrack music and so I have a couple of playlists of soundtrack music that go back many years. But then I'll also, uh, if I've recently seen a movie or a TV show, I'll add that to the playlist right. so I can kind of have new stuff. So I do a lot of that in the morning or I'll play classical. Like I, I'll play like, you know, Debussy or Ravel. It seems so epic. Something like it that. seems like an epic way to start you. Because generally I think, and this isn't true at all, but generally my mind goes to like more epic sounding things when you think of soundtracks because a lot oh, of Oh yeah, times, they're definitely epic. You know, yeah, they're definitely epic. I started listening to those like back in like around 2010 yeah. and 
I found that it like it's amazing. It really puts you in this like kind of story space. Drama, right? Like like it's kind of mythological yeah. story universe. Yeah, it's a lot of it, it, it becomes very emotional because you start to project into it, even though if you don't know what <laughs> movie it's from or what scene or whatever, like interesting. Oh, this is the scene where something like this is happening yeah. and it's like very dramatic and Yeah, you know. it's really so, isn't yeah, it funny how sound can do that? Like have you ever yeah, seen yeah. a video like a you know a social media video or something of someone dancing and then they cut the sound and they show you like behind the scenes of like when they're out in public dancing and there's like no like the music sounds like it's coming from a boombox to like 20 yards away and it has such a different feeling than when it's like banging in your ears you know like imagine like mm -hmm. you walking downstairs for breakfast in the morning to like Charlie Parker and you get a little like skip in your step and you're walking down and and then that's like you walk down to like the Mandalorian theme that's a much different dramatic entrance <laughs> to breakfast yeah. and pancakes than yeah. it is if it's yeah. like bebop yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty yeah. funny how like sound can do that you know yeah totally. what about when you're working um, i i kind of i feel like if i don't have sound on and i'm working i feel like i'm not really working yeah. it's like it, you're you're it's like fake working or like I'm not really on the clock. I love that. Like I feel that. the same like, way. Like, <laughs> have you ever been like working on something? I mean, this happens less nowadays because of technology, but you'd be working and then the music would stop and you, you're in what you're doing, but you go for a while and it feels really weird. Like you're like, wait yeah, a minute, what yeah. the hell? It's just so yeah. quiet in here. Yeah. I can hear the sound of yeah. the brush on the canvas. It's like, wait, I'm not supposed to be hearing that. I, I think it's a problem. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be alone with my that many thoughts. Like I need some yeah. backing music to my existence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I thought, well, back in the day, you know, that's how it was. Yeah. Tape was, stops, you know, record you stops. Didn't, you didn't, well, no, I mean, back in the day, like, you know, oh, years pre, ago, yeah. something. Yeah, definitely um but anyway yeah so after the morning period then i'll i i listen to um kcrw a lot so i'll put on that in the middle of the day um and then i'll do you know npr in the afternoon and then and then um i'll listen to like maybe jazz like more contemporary jazz in the evenings um but in terms of like kind of things that i'm into right now like um uh, there's this band dry cleaning which i really oh, love I don't, I don't uh, great oh names. it's it's they're my favorite right now because the, the 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 woman's voice she just makes anything at all sound like so cool write it down dry cleaning um yeah dry cleaning so like and, and the and the lyrics are all the, just these kind of like random expressions or or phrases that are kind of like semi-nonsensical um but they're really kind of funny and just, I don't know. I, 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 I just think it's like totally weird and I love I'll it. it but, uh, you got to admire their yeah. uh, name choice because that is getting buried in Google. Like it's not a, something that kind of jumps out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dry cleaning. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You said KEXP um, you listened to too, right? Is that what you said? No, KCRW oh, from LA. Right. Yeah, yeah. EXP does this good live. They have bands play live on the air, which is really great. It's funny how radios totally changed too. Anyways, so you, so when you're, and, and what's the, the nightcap as far as music is concerned? Like, what do you listen to at night? Um, so like at night like at night? Binaural, or, like or like, uh, or like, because <laughs> I don't work at, I don't work at night. I am not a night person. Like, I don't, 
I've only worked at night when I've had deadlines and I'm like, you know, pulling yeah, it all night yeah. or something. And I haven't done that in a long time. But um, so, but in, if it's, if it's dark outside and I'm working, um, yeah, I'll put on, I'll put on something like jazz um, or I'll put on, um, I'll put on KCRW and just kind of listen to, you know, whatever the DJ has got for me. But yeah, but I, I have playlists of things that I, of, you know, here's something I like, I'll add it to my playlist yeah. and, put that on so oh yeah that remind for some reason you mentioning like radio which is recommended made me think of um osusume which is like japanese like whenever things are recommended to you um did you had a show at koyama gallery did you get to go yeah yeah did you like it i did yeah it's cool um i mean unfortunately i was like trying to finish the painting and so i was like in there in the gallery before the show opened like frantically trying to get them done so Finishing that touches. Kind of was a you bummer were a stressed yeah yeah i mean i was oh my god at that time i was so stressed out it just was terrible so um yeah i wish i could have spent more time in tokyo and yeah seen more great place. But, well i yeah, imagine too in that era well what year did you show there that was in 2008 i mean you know the the complexity of Tokyo and that sort of compression of like space is pretty dynamic. I would imagine that would be inspiring. Yeah. It was kind of overwhelming actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah first time there. It is cool. Very, yeah. You know, lost in translation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's really nice. Koyama-san. That guy's really, Oh yeah. He's a great very guy. nice. Like great and Where guy. was the space? Yeah. Do you remember where the space, his old space was, Somewhere because now it's in Nobongi, but I don't know where did. Oh, wait, maybe it was, I, I was at his old space. It was in like a nondescript. It's funny, those galleries are in like buildings that just look like like the buildings when you were in uh, San Francisco or you know, in the like those tech yeah. buildings. A lot of them are just in like nondescript office buildings on like the 20th floor or something. You're like, what the hell? It's in yeah, here? you know, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it, it felt a little more industrial than that, but um, I don't actually remember the part of town what what is a memory before covid i think it wiped it out for all of us didn't it kind of <laughs> yeah it's, i it's, keep saying that but strange. i really do feel like my memory is gone i i feel um kind of strangely removed from memories yeah. going back you know i just i feel like it wasn't me or just it happened it's like i i i have images i can remember it but I just feel like weirdly separated from it. Yeah. I wonder if that's, so. cause it's hard for us to tell. I wonder if that's age, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you just start yeah. to disconnect with like a generation of yourself, <laughs> uh huh. you yeah. know, like how all of a sudden, like, did you watch the Super Bowl? Yeah. Like the mm -hmm. halftime show for me was like a walk down memory lane. I was like, yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? Like it felt mm -hmm. very comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then watching my sons watch it, it was totally different. Like, you know, that era. And my wife was like, oh, well, you know, Eminem, that's not that. He's, it's not that old. I'm like, the dude is like almost mm -hmm. 50 years old or something. I mean, that was like 90 mm -hmm. in the 90s when that stuff came. It's a long time ago. So yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost, you know, it's like 25, almost 30 years. Yeah. So. Well, um, so do you have any anything coming up or are you gonna are you planning on showing any work at any point soon 
Um, right now, I'm just listeners? trying to put a body of uh, <laughs> put a body of work together, and it's uh, slow going. Um, so no, there's nothing on the on the horizon. But uh, yeah, I'm just trying to figure these paintings out. Trying so. to squeeze as much time in the garage as you can, right? Yeah, yeah. dad yeah. life. You know, sometimes it Bad life. Sometimes uh-huh. it's in the old <laughs> studio time. It's good though. Work life balance. All right. Well, thanks a lot for talking. It was great to to meet this way in the chat. And uh, you know, next time you're in New York, hit me up. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundandvisionpodcast.com or checking out images by going to Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. You can check out more about my work at brianalfred.net or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. I have a show opening in less than a month at Miles McHenry Gallery. The opening is St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. The show is called Escape Plan. It's all work that was done over the pandemic. And uh, that show will be up for a little over a month. Miles McHenry Gallery opening March 17th. Many thanks to Ben for taking the time to talk. Many thanks for Michael Lovett for the intro. As always, golden acrylic, golden artist colors, Williamsburg oils. Check out their stuff at your local art store. And many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. I have to say, I get the subscription. It's good coffee. And I don't know if this podcast would be possible without that caffeine. So check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They delivered to your door. Alfred Studio is the discount code. You can get 20% off, which is a pretty good deal. Lots more good episodes coming up, so make sure you stay tuned. Drop a rating and review if you can on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you could leave a review, it kind of helps spread the word about the podcast. And more info coming soon, but you can check out the podcast website. Um, the book, the Sound and Vision Podcast book, Why I Make Art, is coming out in a few months and it's available for pre order everywhere. So check that out on Altelier Editions. Many thanks.